The OAM Network is an independently run podcast and live production company in Memphis, Tennessee. TheOAMNetwork.com. Power to the podcast. What makes us take up causes others think are impossible? What draws others to the cause, bonds us together, and gives us an inexhaustible energy and an unwavering belief that we'll succeed? I'll draw on my own experiences and talk to fellow champions about the successes, setbacks, and team dynamics that move causes forward. I'm Marvin Stockwell, and welcome to Champions of the Lost Causes podcast. On today's show, Lakeithan Mason, who through his nonprofit film company, Memphis Filmworks, creates socially relevant content that captures artistic expression, the human connection, and our shared humanity. We'll talk about his new docuseries, Our Neighbors, Our Stories, which explores the art, life, history, and culture of Memphis through the shared stories of Memphians. Lakeithan lifts up unheard, often overlooked voices and welcomes these neighbors into the wider community conversation. He uses the power of his art to inform, inspire, and reconnect Memphis neighbors to their history, reclaiming it, and bringing it forward to inform our current life as a city. All that and more coming up on Champions of the Lost Causes. All right. Well, Lakeithan, thanks so much for being on the show today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So, Back us up a little bit and and tell us just a, a kind of a brief biographical uh, kind of setup as to how you got here, where it, to be the, a storyteller like you are, uh, um, um, making making videos and telling people t- telling people stories on that neighborhood level. What, what what led you to a process like that, or what led you to that? Absolutely. Well, I grew up in Memphis and the Cordova section of Memphis. Mm-hmm. And I spent 20 years in the actual uh, sales, medical sales field. Mm-hmm. I, half of that, I was a corporate, tra- uh, corporate change manager. Um, I worked with sales people and helping them prepare um, to work with surgeons, and, uh, medical practitioners, nurses, et cetera. So I was around stories all the time. Uh, I, was, uh, I was responsible for helping Sales reps understand their why. Well, why why are we working to save people's lives? Why are we trying to uh, help eradicate disease? Mm-hmm. You know, what's what's our purpose? And through that purpose, I really enjoyed coaching and mentoring and helping facilitate people's why. Mm-hmm. In 2015, I had an opportunity to actually go independent and work in the community through filmmaking. And my first film was called Verge. And it was the exploration of how music and musicians in Memphis connect with the world. Hmm. And it was a really great opportunity to really show not only the talent, the new talent of Memphis, but the new opportunities that could come or arrive from investing in our new emerging talent. Uh, Memphis is well known for its history. It's, it's well known for its culture. Right. Of course, it's world renowned for its music back in the day uh, of the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And I really felt like we needed to take a look at what the future holds. And that has really inspired me to continue along that trail to figure out what is the connection to why 
Memphis stands out in the world and what makes us unique as an individual, uh, as a resident of Memphis, as a neighborhood of Memphis, yeah. and of course, as families who choose to raise their, their children and generations, generations after generations right here in Memphis. Yeah. You, you know, it's interesting, uh, you know, as a, as a musician myself uh, and as a person who uh, curated a, a benefit concert weekend uh, in, for a previous employer, uh, Church Health, um, for years, you know, like that was that was something that I uh, sought to address as well. Uh, our, our music history and lineage is like without question, like this is the Fertile Crescent. This, this is yes, the birthplace of rock and roll and uh, gritty, like awesome soul music at, at Stax. Uh, but I always took it as an uh, beyond the fundraising for for uh, my employer, uh, which is a cause I still believe in. Uh, I, I wanted, I felt duty bound to yes. showcase uh, what an eclectic, funky, awesome uh, Memphis music scene we have, and diverse. Oh you know, it, no, it, we exactly. Talk, we talk about rock and roll. We we talk about soul music, of course, but there was garage punk music here. Oh right? yeah. With Ghana Records, with Eric and uh, and and the other guys, you know, so yeah. and Zach, and so had an opportunity to speak with various music makers, and, and and just was able to see that as divided as we often see Memphis in a political and social way, yeah. our taste and flavors are very very eclectic. They're very very diverse, right? So. I love that about about Memphis, and I wanted to really take a deep dive, not necessarily a journalistic approach to it, but mm-hmm. I guess I don't say investigative either. I don't know, but I really enjoyed seeing that we are much more and diverse, and which we're much more eclectic and interesting and maverick like than any other city I've ever experienced, and and so I wanted to yeah. make those I wanted to make those differences come alive. Right. And, and and make those differences make sense as to how we can pull them together and create an interwoven experience. You know, you use the the, the term maverick and I, I've had I've thought that same thing before. And I've thought to myself, this is the city that not only gave rise to overnight shipping and FedEx, but it also gave rise to uh, the self-service grocery store in Piggly Wiggly. That's right. Uh, Memphis is odd in the sense that like we have uh, – Two uh, uh, mom and pop record stores that that annually make the kind of like top fifty mom and pop record stores you got to go to Shangri La and Garner, right? That's right. Uh, and uh, you know we still have a drive-in movie theater uh, <laughs> right across the street from where we're recording this podcast uh, uh, at OAM is is uh, is Black Lodge Video. Like yeah, how many video stores? Right. It, it's really cool, but like that all speaks to your point that like Memphis has this or. Gosh, take my own employer, St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. What made this the the fertile like ground where Danny Thomas, who wasn't from here, correct, uh, uh, decided to found his children's his little children's hospital that could and that grew to be become what it is today. And he did it based upon serving the lesser of these. Well, he he, he took a stance and said everyone who deserves and needs yeah help. We'll get it, regardless of race, regardless of, of language differences, uh, regardless of ideology. This is the place where we were going to discover the cure, and mm-hmm. we were going to help help people. 
Yeah, so there is something about Memphis. Memphis is, and I don't think it's just the fact that I'm a Memphis native and I'm a Memphis homer, the highest order. Uh, that that I think that it's it's there really is something that's different about it, and it has taken me g- moving away and coming back. Agreed. Uh, to to see that uh, lived up in Illinois while my wife went to graduate school. So, um, but b- back 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 to film. So you you started by. Uh, uh, delving into the 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 diverse, funky, eclectic Memphis music scene, uh, and appreciating appreciating it on a deeper level, uh, and and seeing people of diverse backgrounds come together um, uh, creatively. How did that translate into interest in a in a neighborhood level, uh, and in terms of like different neighborhood level projects going on? Yeah, I I think when we think about it's really not i'll be i'll be honest with you it's not about the neighborhood it's mm-hmm. about the human experience mm-hmm. right and those human experiences happen to ha- happen to occur on a street and that street uh-huh. happens to be in a block and that block happens to be in a neighborhood and that neighborhood happens to be in a community and that community happens to be in a city so for me i wanted to trace the steps of our human behavior of our ability to have pride, civic pride, neighborhood pride, but pride in the human experience. Uh, so for me, it was a curiosity of of, of what makes a neighborhood special, uh, what makes a neighbor special, right? We live in a time where we're we're constantly uh, in and out of our own siloed experiences. Mm-hmm. We may leave the garage if there is one, and we'd go to work. We come back, and we never have a shared experience on our block. Yeah. In fact, if there is a shared experience, it's oftentimes the result of a conflict, mm-hmm. uh, the, the result of maybe a, a neighbor not uh, keeping their dog quiet, right? <laughs> but not in a shared experience where there is a joy of it or there is a long-term memory of of neighbors helping neighbors and being a part of each other's family and human experience. Mm-hmm. So I really wanted to take a look at some of our historic neighborhoods that surround the Memphis Corridor and get a great understanding of their human experience, of their shared human experience, um, and have the opportunity to have discussions and conversations with people that I don't know. And these are strangers that have invited me into their home, um, that invited me to uh, to a drink of water or wine yeah. and uh, breaking bread to talk about what's important to them, what made their family, ra- what made them, their, their fathers and mothers or grandmothers, generation after generation, what encouraged them to stay and what inspired them to continue to build and create their human experience mm-hmm. in that neighborhood, on that block, in that street, on that street. So it be- it was a curiosity. But I will say that we in we're ending up here. We're not ending up here. Well, we're here, right? But before that, I had an opportunity to work with the city of Memphis in planning uh, large scale events like MLK Fifty. So right. Uh, so having the opportunity to see from a global perspective, the impact and influence of the Memphis story on the world. I am a man, 
right? Uh, mm-hmm. the, uh, the reflection of MLK and his presence here and the sanitation workers being able to to honor the sanitation workers of 1968 who took a stand against oppression, who took a stand against low wage and low quality um, of, uh, of living standards um, as it relates to some of the policies uh, back in that particular point in time. And also having the opportunity to work with alongside the Housing for Community Development mm-hmm. where we were actually doing projects and programs in uh, historic neighborhoods like Orange Mound right. where we were reopening and reimagining what the old Melrose High School uh, could be for the community. How how could it mm-hmm. enrich, enrich people's lives? How could it actually enhance, again, the human experience? Yeah. And how can we all share in that, right? So having the opportunities, and I'm really grateful uh, for the city of Memphis and the, uh, and the Housing for Community Development for helping us think about how we could turn perhaps a disappointment or a disappointed, situ- disappointing situation, or an impoverished mm-hmm. environment. How can we now re-energize it, reimagine it, revitalize it, and then bring everybody, mobilizing everyone um, that may have not felt they've been a part of that revitalization experience? How can we bring them back together, yeah. and now say, "Let's go. Let Let's do this. Let's have a shared experience. Right. Let's create new memories." Let's honor the past. Let's celebrate the present and let's fortify the future together. Right. And so Our Neighbors, Our Stories is about the connective tissue. It's about connecting people, places, and spaces to a communal opportunity for a phenomenal shared future experience for Memphis. So, um, and I, I guess I'd forgotten that you worked on on the historic Melrose thing. I was I was yeah. there that day, and I walked through there. It was really cool. And of course, that makes me think of Angela Barksdale, yes. who is uh, both a leading force on that project, uh, but she's also a Coliseum Coalition board member. And uh, anyone who knows Angela knows she's a a, a force to be reckoned with. Absolutely, uh, and she has a huge heart for uh, the city and especially the Orange Mound neighborhood. Um, and just, I guess if I had a, uh, a kind of a lasting uh, joy that I didn't anticipate at the outset, you know, you think you're getting into working on, a, you know, reopening the Mid-South Coliseum. Uh, you think that's the purpose, but there are all these ancillary th- things that come into play. One of those things is getting to know Orange Mound better. And I know that's Correct. that's a neighborhood you've spent some time in now at this Absolutely. point. Um, Absolutely. <clears throat> what are some of the stories that are that are, have been uh, bubbling up that really stick out? Well, we'll start with Angela Barksdale. Yeah. Right. So uh, I've had an opportunity to, not, not even just in Orange Mound, but there are current generation families or individuals who have had families throughout uh, the, the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, who have contributed to the mortar and brick of the city. And they're now in position to do the same. So Angela Barksdale, as we know, she's a social activist. She is a, a just a jewel uh, of, of a person that constantly on a daily basis mm-hmm. uh continues to contribute to her community. Mm-hmm. Runs political campaigns. Well, she runs political campaigns mm-hmm. as well, but yeah. she she does exceptional things. But it didn't start with her. 
right? And I, I think that's that's what I'm learning. If it, what I'm hearing are, are stories of this current generation or where that generation is right now had a really great start. So mm-hmm. her her grandfather was a diamond cutter, one of the first African American diamond cutters in this area of the country, mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, no, not a lot of people know that. You know, he was uh, applauded by the, the the White House administration, um, and was a diamond cutter, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you think African American diamond cutter, one, you don't, you definitely don't think this person existed in the fifties and sixties, and certainly you don't see them now, right? But so mm-hmm. to have such rich history, yeah, right, and legacy. Uh, Angela Barksdale was able to tell her story uh, through our neighbors, our stories, and her beginning, and how her family uh, helped her develop a a unique pride, not only about herself, but about her city, about her community, about her neighborhood, about her street. Yeah. Right? So, so she's able to now walk in a presence of, of prominence for the community. When we look at individuals like Daryl Cobbins, who is now leading the uh, the Hundred Black Men uh, organization, yep. and has spent decades uh, working on on boards like MLGW to uh, to education boards, but has dedicated his life to the community, but also to uh, commercial real estate development. Well, it didn't start with Daryl; it started with his grandfather, uh, who built Lakeview Gardens who was a, a a very prominent developer of communities and neighborhoods. So I'm finding what I'm enjoying the most is, mm-hmm. is that connective tissue of why a person does what they do, why they love, love what they love doing, and how they are now continuing to move the legacies that have been placed before them forward. And I think our young people need to hear that. Right. Yeah. So we, we've kind of lost that connective tissue to our, our motivation, our passion and our purpose and our reason for being a part of something. Right. And yeah. having a sense of belonging and knowing that your story is your story didn't start today. Your story started yesterday. Your story started 100 years ago. Your story mm-hmm. started 200 years ago. And when young people know that your story actually is triumph as opposed to overwhelming struggle, Mm. it changes your mindset and it gives you an opportunity to see yourself differently. To be hopeful. And to be hopeful. You know, uh, as you were talking, I was thinking to myself, um, uh, another great friend I've made uh, in Orange Mound along the way working on the Coliseum is Brittany Thornton. And Angela and Brittany know each other really well and uh, are – and, and I was I was working with them on a media opportunity once, and, and I was working with them on a couple of different things. Uh, and the the interesting thing is, like, Brittany has so much like energy. She has the energy of a young person. But you know what? I'm not sure who has more energy, Angela Barksdale or Brittany Thornton, because both of those uh, 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 women are just like dynamite doers. Yes, y- you know, and, and and to see two generations uh, uh, be equally passionate about Orange Mound, working equally as hard, um, that's what – that honestly gives me uh, more uh, fire in the gut to work on the project that I'm working on because the fairgrounds and the Coliseum, you know, so I – 
over the last five years, I've stood up two uh, grassroots nonprofits, the Coliseum Coalition and Friends of the Fairgrounds. And Friends of the Fairgrounds did an intentional year-and-a-half-long stakeholder input process. And what Orange Mound residents told us repeatedly was they missed their connection with that land yeah. and with that building, and they want it back. Uh, and you've been talking about how, like, your your, your story starts – 50 years, 100 years ago, 200 years ago. But you also are smart to point out this isn't just about like saying, oh, the good old days, the glory days. This is about folding it forward and saying, how do we pivot off what is this beautiful, authentic, like the, uh, you know, uh, the the bones of the place or thinking about the Coliseum. Yeah. It's kind of the same thing. But it's like, how do we fold forward? How do we be aware and honor the narrative of the past and the, and the goodness of the past and the legacy of the past and the relationships of the past and know that they resonate into the current day? And how do we fold it forward to the right. future? Use the good of that to move us forward. Yeah. You know, it's amazing. And I have to, I have to tell you yeah. tell you this story. I think I've, I've told you this story before, but uh, we're on a microphone. So yeah, I figure I'd tell me tell again. again. <laughs> <laughs> this is my, coll- my Coliseum story and my favorite memory of being a part of that Coliseum experience yeah. and that concert experience. So I, there was a concert. Uh, it was the Jeffrey Osborne and Anita Baker concert back in the, uh, the mid the late eighties. Yeah. And I called the radio station and the radio station was, you know, they were promoting, uh, you know, giving away tickets and I actually won two tickets. Right. And they didn't ask what my age was, but I was 17. I was 17. Uh-huh. So I don't know if I was allowed or not, but I was there. So my mom said, Oh, congratulations. You, you won, you won two tickets to the Jeffrey Osborne show. I'm like, yeah. She's like, who are you going to take? I was like, well, I don't know. Maybe I'll you know, <laughs> check, you know, check with a friend and uh, see if I, you know, see if I could, you know, maybe ask my, you know, this girl that I like and, you know, see if she'd want to go. She's like, well, I have a suggestion for you. I was like, well, oh, uh, okay. Well, do you know my friends? <laughs> She's like, exactly. <laughs> You're going with your sister. <laughs> so. <laughs> I younger had, or older? Younger. Three yeah. years on younger. Oh, wow. So this is my 14-year-old sister. She was yeah. she was so excited. My And so my mother, you know, she she put her over in little pigtails and pink bows, and she had this this, this pink dress. And, I, and I'm, I'm looking. And then, of course, my mom bought pants for me, which matched, you know, matched the male version of pink uh, with my 14-year-old yeah. sister. So here's a 17-year-old kid on the front row. Whoa, uh, front row. Front row tickets, man. Oh, wow. On the front row with his 13 and a half or 14 year old sister uh, with the most, I mean, I, if I can just, I can't even describe this right, with the frills. I mean, just uh-huh. just straight out of 1963. You know, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> <laughs> and, and so Jeffrey Osborne comes up to us and he looks at me and looks at us and says, Who wants to sing woo, woo, woo? So my sister's Get like, me, 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 me. No way. <laughs> yeah. So my my little, you know, my little fourteen year old sister is singing woo 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 with Jeffrey Osborne, Whoa. and he's like, "Wow, well, I'm glad to have you here." And I'm thinking to myself, he's like, "You're probably too young to be here, but since you're here, I want to make sure people know that I didn't invite you, but I'm glad you're on the front row, and thanks for your woo woo woo." Right. Uh huh. So I'm sitting here. I'm just. I'm like, oh my god, this is really embarrassing. Right. This is cool that I'm here. And I love the tickets, and I love. <laughs> you know, I, I I became a forever fan for of Anita Baker. 
But that was my, that was my fondest memory yeah. of loving and being like totally embarrassed, but also loving the fact that I was there, you know, as this kid, uh, being being able to experience music. Yeah. And so, music has always been a part of my inspiration. Mm-hmm. Um, I've 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 been I became a songwriter, record producer. I've I've produced forty songs uh, over the years, and I've written songs for local artists in Ohio and, and Memphis. And so, music really drove to my first exploration. Yeah, right. And how we're connected, how music connects us, how sound connects us, how it creates love, how it creates imagination, mm-hmm. and how it actually breaks down barriers. So we're now here in 2020, still trying to figure out how do we not only break those barriers down, but we keep them down. Yeah. And I feel like our neighbors, our stories could be a part, a big part of helping keep those barriers down because we're sharing our experience. Mm -hmm. No one ever objects to sharing our experience, Mm -hmm. right? No one uh, one objects to, to sharing a song. Uh, that makes them feel a certain way. So yeah. why not as families, as residents, as individuals, have an opportunity to share their story, uh, to share their love of what this particular experience of life has given them? Yeah. Right? So, And that was the experience that the Coliseum gave me. So I'm really excited that you all have championed and that we are yeah. uh, together as, as a shared culture, sure. championing the experience to reimagine what the Coliseum could be for other 14 or 17-year-olds who yeah. happen to call the radio station and win front row tickets and have an unforgettable experience that they can tell into the future. Yeah, they'll remember that. You'll, I mean, your sister's probably still talking about that. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting, uh, and, and 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 I don't want to like divert too much attention to the Coliseum because uh, I, I want to talk. You got plenty of things to talk about, but it's interesting how uh, as we uh, we've given ninety plus of those VIP tours of the Coliseum now, yeah. and people always talk about um, it, it, the consistent thread is it's a, it's a communal gathering place, yeah. and like music brings uh, people together. Uh, and and it's wrestling. been often taught wrestling bring folks together, <laughs> and and so does uh, basketball and other sports. Um, people talk about how like oh you know some kind of silent type guys they need to talk about sports, but they're really talking about their feelings, or or you know people come together. They say that oh basketball brings the city together, and there's some truth to that. Uh, people of all sorts of di- they might have different political views, but they're going to root on the Tigers together. So I, I feel like. The Coliseum is this kind of like uh, central gathering space. Graduations is another thing uh, at the Coliseum. Yes. But, uh, and I just uh, – orange-bound neighbors as part of that process saying we miss our connection with that land and with that building and we want it back. We want the ugly fence lines taken down. We want to feel welcomed in. Yeah, I just think there's an incredible uh, opportunity at the fairgrounds, and of course, I'm encouraged that our colleagues at the city uh, are doing their part, and they've got different levers to press. But sure. um, at any rate, so um, we we should back up here a step and just talk to me about the, the scope of the stories that you're telling uh, um, uh, with this current project. So last year, the Kresge Foundation. Uh, who's, uh, they are headquartered in Troy, Michigan, mm-hmm. right outside of Detroit. 
And for a number of years, I think since 2010 or 11, mm -hmm. they have been reinvesting into disinvested communities throughout the country. They started in their, in their backyard, Detroit, and they have also done some exceptional work in Cleveland, uh, in the Ohio area, in New Orleans. So they decided to take a look at Memphis and figure out how they could stimulate a consciousness of reinvesting or investing in disinvested areas yeah. of the city. And so I submitted an idea to, well, let's let's take a look at some of our downtown's neighboring neighboring neighborhoods or neighboring mm -hmm. communities and uh, let's get to know them, right? So the, their first step is, is being invited to the to the home or 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 asking the first question, what's your name? Yeah. Right. And the Kursky Foundation thought it was an excellent idea. Um, because it's about one, first, how do we bridge the gap? How do we establish a bridge that connects? And then how do we stay connected? Right. And the answer, in my opinion, is we need to create a shared experience. And so we are doing or, or producing 300 stories over the next two years about Memphians, about Memphians in specific neighborhoods. Uh, there are 12 neighborhoods that we're focusing on, but mm -hmm. we're also looking at the overall storytelling of any Memphian. So we're not just you know saying, well, no, you, you have to live in Glenview and yeah. to be a part of this experience. No, we're saying that we really want to make sure those stories are told. And, and there are many untold stories of, of different neighborhoods. where the, And we have new neighborhoods. We've had neighborhoods that have changed names. When you look at Uptown, well, Uptown is now Uptown, but Uptown, you know, a decade ago was a collection of other North Memphis neighborhoods. Right um, from neighborhoods called Seventh Street, neighborhoods called Bickford, Bearwater, Greenlaw. Right, mm -hmm. then you move into Smoky City and Klondike, and you're and you then you're, you're moving further uh, further east to Raleigh and Fraser. But then you come around the center, you've got Binghampton. And you you have uh, you have you have Hyde Park. You have the Chelsea Hollywood area, and each one of those neighborhoods, each one of those streets tell a very specific story. But the root of that story starts with the personal human experience. And so over the next two years, we will be going in and out of those neighborhoods, making sure that we truly understand what is the connective tissue of the personal experience, the human experience, and the overall neighborhood opportunity to use that experience to help stimulate investment reinvestment, whether it's human reinvestment, whether it's human interest, you know, uh, re reinteresting people mm -hmm. back into that experience and finding ways to create roadmaps and blueprints to help those particular neighborhoods become what they feel it should be, mm -hmm. right? So uh, you, we want to awaken that, that opportunity for people to think, wow, you know what, I may have left that neighborhood or I may have like forgotten about that neighborhood, but wow, there's some potential there. Yeah. And, and so I want to focus on that potential. And now let's go ahead and re-energize some ideas on how mm. to 
create a unique experience for not only the people that are currently in that neighborhood, but for those who want to now, you know, I want to move back back there, yeah. Or I I want to I want to buy some 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 property, and uh, I want to I want to I want my business there because I know that's going to stimulate the economy. I want to improve the transportation system so these neighborhoods can improve their ability and access to resources that maybe other neighborhoods that they don't have access to, uh, they can gain access to, and it could change their lives. And by being able to give them an opportunity to to find their, their, their true authentic self through taking care of their most basic needs of security and stability and financial health, we're gonna we're going to change their lives and they're gonna change ours with their talent, with their skill, and with their presence and their mindset. Wow. So it's all about to me, it's all about how do we create the connective tissue to one, understand that at the very end of the day, we all want the same thing. No one wants to live a life of crime. No one wants to deal with mental health issues or be subjected or submitted. Uh, to to violence or to depression, anxiety, uh, to live in poverty, to live in poverty. Yeah. You know, no one wants to be isolated from the rest of the city where they can't mm-hmm. get to a job. No one wants that. Yeah, right. You know, who wants that? But there are some individuals in some of our neighborhoods who don't have the ability to get to those resources or gain access to those resources because perhaps they've made decisions. That have um, that hinder people from looking at them again and taking a second look. Our neighbors, our stories, is forcing people to take a second look at the humanity of our community. Um, in telling these stories, like you had mentioned, you know, uh, or somewhere along the line, we we said these these are stories that or neighborhoods that that might have been uh, uh, forgotten, uh, forgotten. And so, um, and you mentioned Kresge, and I remember one of the guys from Kresge, I'm going to forget exactly who it was I heard speak at a luncheon, and they were talking about how at the outset, you have to be prepared for people to uh, maybe not, it's a little bit unexpected, they're not used to being asked their opinion. And I I wonder how much of that you had run into and how much coaxing you had to do uh, uh, along the way. Or or was that necessary, or did did your your winning personality and smile just win folks over? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I do have a winning personality, by the way. But no, <laughs> yeah, no, you do. You really do. Uh, and, and so, yeah. And I so they picked I the right guy. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to sound facetious, facetious or anything. I'm thinking, well, that sounds really cocky. I'm, I'm not cocky at all. But I, what I will say is what I found was that every individual that I asked face-to-face felt honored to have the opportunity to have a voice. Mm-hmm. And it hasn't been difficult. Now, there have been some that, you know, I'm, I'm really shy, and I, I just, I don't know if I have a, a story that you'd be interested in. But by the end of the conversation, it is typically a yes. Why? Most people not only have this inherent desire to be heard, um, to have their ideas explored, they invite you to know me, right? When we talk about breaking down barriers or breaking down walls or uh, breaking down 
lack of understanding of, of how a person got into a situation they got into, most people never get the chance to say, can I just explain to you how I got here? Mm-hmm. You know, can we just can we just talk about that? Because you know, people people are looking at me like I'm the worst person in the world. But I had to do what I had to do. So can I tell my story? Mm-hmm. We don't give people that opportunity. That's a uh that's oh, that is speaking of it being an opportunity. That's uh, I can tell by the look in your face that you consider that a privilege. It is. Sorry. No, no, it's all good. It's all good. No, I mean it. It's an emotional subject matter. It, it is. And so, when people have an opportunity to share their heart, mm-hmm. um, and they know that it's an authentic ask, yeah. They're, 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 they're grateful. And so I'm grateful. Uh, I'm grateful that, that people are willing to say that they want to have a voice. Uh And I'm grateful to be given the opportunity to say you have one. And we will use it to help you, not hurt you. We will, we'll use it to help leverage your opportunity for a second chance, for a second look. Mm-hmm. For a second opportunity, we will use it to celebrate what your family has achieved. Yeah. Because you, you you have cousins that are that have done exceptional things. You have brothers that have done exceptional. You have sisters and mm-hmm. and mothers that have held families together. And so, for that young man or that young woman or that that son to say, "Ma, Big Ma, Me Ma, mm-hmm. Mimi, Granny, whomever." Thank you for holding us together. Now they have an opportunity. They have an opportunity to publicly thank those who they love for keeping them together. Yeah. Wow. You know, it's 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 interesting when I think of you know Champions of the Lost Causes, the title of the show. Um, I think of people working on you know causes, larger civic causes, but the cause of reclaiming human dignity yes. is such a basic building block. Uh, of uh, that 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 gives rise to maybe larger what what you might consider projects, but but sitting here talking to you, I, I realize that like just so that basic more. building block of of the of uh, of the family unit uh, and uh, and integrity within the, the 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 neighborhood or even yeah just the the basic human cell of life, which is that family, or down, even farther to to the person, yeah, is is, uh, is such a that's an that's a, that's, a, that's kind of blowing my mind. <laughs> um, if we're going, if we're yeah. going to bring humanity in the room and solve some of our social problems, we have to get to the root cause of the intergenerational reciprocal activity of it. Mm-hmm. Until we acknowledge the root, then we will never be able to correct it. Yeah. And we will always continue to look at this particular street, neighborhood, family, person as someone who does not have a chance or second chance or mm-hmm. a lost cause. Yeah. And so I, I have, I, I've, I've met so many people, so many families, just in in the in the three and four months that we've been filming, 
and visiting uh, neighborhoods and families and individuals, uh, we've already amassed over 75 stories. And yeah. the year's not over, and we have two years to do it. Holy cow. So if that gives you indi any indication of those individuals' opportunity to have a moment to heal yeah. and to reconnect, they are wanting to do it, and they're wanting to do it faster than I can actually do it. I can actually make it happen. Wow. No shortage of really great stories no. and and people who want to be listened to. Yeah. Yeah. They want to be heard. They want to be acknowledged. They want to be celebrated. And they want to celebrate those who have helped them through whatever process mm -hmm. they they have gone through, whatever uh, situation that it, they've been a part of. Right. So it, it's it's just it's been amazing. I, I mean, I, I can't it's, it's nothing. It's been nothing short of amazing um, because we're we're connect. We're reconnecting people back to their why mm -hmm. and we're giving them a chance of looking at how they could not only place their story in history, um, but also say that I have something to offer. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I too can help change Memphis by wow. starting with myself. Um, it strikes me that like what you're getting at is, is first like a person wants to share their story. And you mentioned – it's a it's a healing thing in, yeah. in, in many instances. Yeah. Um, but uh, is part two of that conversation, uh, either within the particular interview or or perhaps as the project wears on, is that is it is it part of that starting to articulate what they desire uh, for their community? How, how, how do, what has been your experience? Maybe perhaps within an interview, going from the I want to share with you why I got where I got and why I am who I am. And then starting to fold that forward and say, I want uh, this for my community. What shape has that taken in what you've been able to document? I mean, exactly what you what you said, right? Mm -hmm. So on the on that on that particular corner within Orange Mound, many of these individuals remember there was a there was a, a, a sewing shop there. There was a tire shop there. There were several barber shops there. There were there were really amazing car washes where everybody gathered. There was a safe park, right? So when people start start reimagining or going back to their childhood experiences, mm -hmm. oftentimes those childhood experiences were positive, even if they heard gunshots. <laughs> and I've heard uh -huh. this like, yeah, I remember those gunshots, but I remember my mom loved me. And I remember my dad saying, don't do this. Don't go here. Make sure you watch out for your sister. They were all given the rules of engagement, of keeping their family safe, intact, and connected. So they understood the fabric of what keeps a family together, what keeps a neighborhood together, what makes a block effective, right? Over the years, I think we um, you experience things that put your memory bank into uh, a standstill or a pause, right? And so during these particular interviews or, or sessions, when people release the pause button and they're allow they allow themselves to rewind and go back, what it does is the memory of that rewind of what they were taught has now been recollected. 
And through that recollection, they now reconnect back to the possibilities of a much different and safer environment because that's really what they were given in their childhood. They were given that child experience. Mm -hmm. Along the way, they for, they forgot it or put it on pause because of, of, of life emergencies. But now it's like, wait a minute, no. We, this, this community can be better. You know what? I tell you what, how do I get, how do I get that loan? Like, how do I, how do I get people out, uh, get, convince someone of my idea, my entrepreneurial idea or my creative idea? Uh, yeah. let me grab a, a bucket of paint, right? Where, where's that artist at? I want to help them out, right? So their frame of mind yeah. and their frame of reference of what could be is now, has now been re-energized. Right, mm -hmm. and so now there is a there's a, like you said there's a semblance of hope. There's a can-do attitude. Um, I, I remember a young man who literally said, "I am a street hustler. That's all I know. That's what he started out. How he started out. He's a charming guy, funny guy. Told a joke as many times as he could until I said, "Look, this is not the comedy show right now. <laughs> but let's get let's get back that. Yeah. To the at the end." of the conversation, he said, you know what? Didn't you say that you managed artists and you wrote songs and you booked people? He's like, could you book me for a show? I've got something to say. I want to be on stage because I think I can make people laugh and I can make them happy too. Wow. So you go from, hey, man, I'm a street hustler to like, can you make a stage for me? Wow, that's really powerful. You know, it's an interesting uh, confluence of connecting to the past that in, 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 it kind of makes – it brings forward this memory of, of how – of the good ways things were, even if it's a – even if it had some, some bad had some stuff rocks, mixed yeah. in. They're reminded of, of the, the heart of, of goodness, and then they almost like bring it current. And then once that's been re-enlivened, so to speak – uh, it's almost like then they're ready to uh, look at the opportunities. And as you were speaking, I was thinking about. Um, so Brittany Thornton was uh, was a, a guest of mine on on this show, and uh, she was talking about the, this uh, burgeoning small business incubator. Right. So there are things like that bubbling up in Orange Mound, and I and and uh, it's an exciting time. Um, uh, I'm sure I don't know the half of what's bubbling up in Orange Mound, and that just makes me think. Uh, a resurgent fairgrounds on Orange Mound's flank would would just you know uh, would just enhance hmm. what's already organically uh, uh, bubbling up. But have there been any um, specific you know like uh, you know on, you mentioned entrepreneurs? Have you have you documented the stories of of any of these these entrepreneurs that are that are opening up businesses or, or in Orange Mound or elsewhere? Oh, absolutely. And we've, we've interviewed it in, in the Whitehaven area, Hazel Moore. She's considered the, the yeah. mayor of Whitehaven, right? So she's a, a hairstylist, a cosmetologist who uh, she stood beside presidents, queens. She's, she's uh, stood beside Coretta Scott King. She's taken pictures with Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton. She's been commended by uh, Congressman Cohen. Mm -hmm. uh, she's been to the state capitol advocating for you know, healthy, uh, healthy ways of, uh, of making sure that cosmetologists not only have a license, <laughs> but they are are doing it according to a standard that uh, saves hair, <laughs> right? Yeah. You, you were talking about taking you know, taking on causes. 
Uh, to again, you know, Daryl Cobbins, uh, who has an excep- exceptional uh, history of, of yeah. helping change the fabric of Memphis and um, this, this family. To uh, to a gentleman by the name of Brian Harris, who uh, who his grandfather uh, actually owned a a huge bar on Bill Street uh, back in the '40s and wow. was really great friends with E. H. Crump, right? So. Uh, that all all of those ex, like those exciting historical moments uh, are are just kind of they're re enlivened right they're they re uh, they reemerge right yeah. you know and I've, I've heard I've heard I, my guest said wow you know what you help you help me stop and think about my why yeah you actually it's like you actually reminded me that I. Not only not only do I have a story, but I actually you reconnected me back to my responsibility to continue making sure that story matters. Mm-hmm. You know, wow, and that it, it, you know that that, that was powerful, and I, I, got to, I, have, yeah. I actually had to stop and think about that because you know sometimes we 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 go along and we go through the motions. Where we're maybe you know fighting or jockeying for position or status, and 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 we forget our our reason for being, um, and we start and we start going going through the motions. But if we really understand that everything we do has an intent, and if we walk this earth with intentionality, yeah, the road won't be as hard. There are those things that we were put on this planet to do. There are things and, that you're put on this planet to do. Yeah. There are words and deeds that you speak into the universe that speaks back to you in action. Yeah. It's um it's a unique uh moment in Memphis. Uh, I feel like by any measure, um uh there is there are visible signs that uh certain neighborhoods are are surging back to life, things are getting built. Uh but uh, but the kind of like second part of that conversation that's also emerging is uh, keeping equity elevated, yeah, uh, and it's such that it's like uh, you know the, the counterweight to uh, Memphis has momentum, which is true, right. uh, is let's make sure that we have a, a momentum that's serving all of Memphis, and uh, and 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 by no means are we there yet, but no. but 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 I when I as I think about your project. Uh, that certainly aids in making sure uh, voices that might otherwise be left out of the conversation uh, aren't, that they're included. Um, just kind of like think out loud and, and think – I mean you're, you're doing your part and, and, uh, and, 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 and good for you and good on Kresge, Kresge for, uh, for investing in something. Taking that's, a chance. That's, Taking take, a yeah. chance. Yeah. That's really important in that, but what else needs to be done in your view for Memphis to really truly live out its potential? For Memphis to live out it, live out its potential, I, I just I truly believe that we can no longer sweep our pain up under the rug. Uh, we've got to talk about it. So, and I'm seeing I'm so very proud of our city right now. Because there are hundreds of conversations going on every day. If you look at organizations like Momentum Nonprofit Partners, uh, they're they're doing their part in having the discussion about racial equity or shared prosperity 
or why are they a lack of executive directors for community-based organizations that are persons of color? Right. Uh, why are we not having true discussions about the lack of fairness and job opportunities, promotional opportunities, but also opportunities to prosper in this city? Right. So, what I th- what I think needs to happen is happening. We're having the tough conversation. Yeah. Now, the next step is to make sure that not only are those tough conversations are allowed to continue, but people are planning and creating some blueprints and solutions to make sure that everyone has a chance to People say sit at the table, right? That's so passe now, right? I want to sit at the table, but build a table that they can invite everyone to that can help build this city. And when one doesn't have the cash resource, but the talent resource, that that cash resource provider takes a chance on that talent. And when we pull talent, resource, capability together, what we'll find is that every neighborhood will benefit, every person will have pride, Mm -hmm. will take pride not only in themselves, but in their street, their block, their neighborhood, their community, their city. And we'll see lots of magical things happen that should have happened a long time ago, right? Much of our, uh, I've heard people say, or some people say Mm -hmm. that much of Memphis, Memphis's problem or issue is not racism. It's this thrust for power and control, mm-hmm. right? And it happens to look like racism. <laughs> it could be racism. Don't get me wrong. Oh, like, there's racism. Yeah, and, yeah, there yeah, please no don't. Doubt about yeah, that, so yeah. callers, you know, don't. I'm not saying that. I'm not minimizing racism at all. Right? That we see it every day. Sure. But I, you know, I had this conversation when I was going. Uh, through my graduates, going through graduate school, getting my MBA, I had a conversation with a, a gentleman who was a part of my cohort. Cohort, and we we worked together. And he was a uh, he was like maybe ten years younger than me, young white. Uh, I don't say white kid, but you know, yeah, uh, white man, white young guy. Yeah, uh, and I knew that we were very. Uh, he, I knew that he admired me. I knew that. He loved everything I said, or uh, when I was when I would speak, he would just applaud and say, you know thank you, or, or ask me questions on the side. And, and he looked day, up to you. He looked up to me. Yeah. And then one day, I guess towards the end of our class, he said, "Can I have a conversation with you? Like, can I be like really, 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 really real with you?" I'm like, "Yeah, Billy. Ooh, yeah, yeah, Billy." <laughs> no one will know his last name. Um, <laughs> And, and, he, and he, he he surprised me a little bit. He said, you know, I really admire you, and I think you know that. He said, but I'm white. I was like, no, nah, dog, for real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He said, he said, and I have I have to tell you, he said, you know, I can never, um, because I'm white, um, I can never publicly support um, you, or not you, I can never support an African-American president. I could never support uh, someone of color uh, being my boss. And I said, Billy, like, why? Weird. He said, well, I, he said, because I, I feel like if we put too many of you in control, 
then we'll lose control, we'll lose our jobs, and we'll lose our ability to maintain power in this country. And he said, I've never told anybody, anybody of color that. That's incredibly frank. He was very frank. And he said, I'm so sorry for feeling that way. And I don't know how to change. Wow. I um, Can you imagine hearing that? I can't. I admire you, but I can't acknowledge the fact that you could be more powerful than me. So there wow. are, because if I, if I give you more power than what I have or what my race has, mm-hmm. then you will take over and then you'll punish me essentially for yeah. all of the things that you feel you, uh, that's, you've been, where you've been wronged, right? And so I think there is mm-hmm. this underlying uh, people have fragility, guilt, white guilt, whatever you want to call it. But there is this mm-hmm. undercurrent of fear. Yeah. And I, I think we've seen leaders utilize fear um, to kind of base to bait people into supporting yeah. them, like you know, like we, hey, you're gonna you're gonna lose your benefits, you're gonna lose uh, your ability to make decisions for this country if you allow this, or if you allow that, if you allow if you allow a woman to be president, you're you know, if you allow immigrants, undocumented, if yeah, if you allow undocumented immigrants, too many of them in, then then we're gonna lo- yeah. you're gonna lose your jobs and your your wife, you know, your your family's not gonna be able to eat and you're gonna be homeless and you're not you're gonna be the 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 under yeah. the undercurrent if you if you allow too many in here and all of a sudden you're now the minority. You don't want to be in the minority, right? So there's this fear baiting. Of who's in control. Scapegoating and fear-mongering. And yeah. fear-mongering oh, that yeah. continues to allow people to to afford, to allow people to fight against one another and, mm-hmm. as opposed to working together mm-hmm. to make something great, to truly make America great again, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It takes everyone. It takes every every culture, every every ethnicity, every ideology. To make mm-hmm. this country, this world, great, right? Mm-hmm. And so when we start investing in the greatness, in the diversity of our greatness, until we really take that seriously, then our conversations are going to continue to be tough. Yeah. I uh, I took part in the National Civil Rights Museum's Unpacking Racism for Action, their first cohort. Yeah. I think they're on their maybe third, third cohort. Yeah. And uh, if anybody uh, is, is – is, I would encourage people to look into it. It's They keep the thing intentionally uh, the uh, diverse, the mix of people. And, it, and it's a group of people. It's a facilitated discussion. Uh, but you you have to know – you have to want to enter into um, uncomfortable conversations and um, what's interesting is even those of us who self-selected to be part of a group <laughs> like that, and they start with a meal and you break bread together, you know, like so you're just getting to know each other as people. It's all unbelievably well designed. But even for people who self-select and say, I want to be at that table, I want to be uncomfortable, I want to be, I want to learn about unconscious bias and mm-hmm. microaggressions and structural racism and face that as a diverse cohort, which was, I mean, an amazing experience. And that's the reason I would encourage uh, people, uh, if you're so inclined, I mean, it's as good as you might imagine. It is. But we would maybe be there for a two and a half hour session, you know, and it would take 
the natural human aversion to uncomfortability or, or discomfort, I guess. Yeah, you're pushed to your edge. Me- meant that like <laughs> the the last 30 minutes of every session was always the realist because it took two hours for us to let our guard down. And then that, but then that last 30 minutes was this kind of like, I don't know how to describe it. It was kind of just like otherworldly uh, raw revelation raw revelation it was it was a very it was a it was an unfiltered right uh but uh but but also we'd we'd settled into each other so to speak we were we were together as a body of people and we had taken that long to somewhat exhale this is not it's not easy to do, no. uh, but uh, but it's incredibly life giving for for people who give themselves over to the to a conversation like that, uh, and and whether or not it's through storytelling uh, that we have these these stories out there, or whether it's uh, through uh, frank in person conversations, uh, we it's, it's you know it's a cliche, but we are better together. We're yeah. we're better when we, when we, when when we come together, and that is. Uh, it's, it's, it's sometimes easier said than done, but it's not impossible. It's not. And at the very least, yeah, like, you know, somebody, people think that somebody has to lose in order for you to win. Right. And it, it's not true. You know, what, it, what, what really we should be thinking about is how do we win and help others see opportunities for winning, right? And by helping them win, that means you win bigger. Right, so taking the the self centered aspect of winning out of the equation and create some opportunities to create pyramids of winning, opportunities of that that allow us to cast that everyone can rise, right, right, and that every opportunity is given respect. And when we're looking at how do we now forgive ourselves, just do it. You know, we, we don't necessarily have to hold on to the past pain, but we've got to face it and we have to realize what it is. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And like unpacking the racism session and workshop, we have to realize and look at it for what it is. Yeah. But once we look at it, we can't close our eyes again. Yeah. We can't close our eyes. And I think that's that's the that's the biggest danger of all of these, all this momentum happening and this awakening occurring. And then when you turn your back and you walk the opposite direction of the one that you've now had this raw revelation with, then you close your eyes again. Yeah. You can't close your eyes. So when we've awakened someone mm-hmm. and when you have become awakened, you do now have a responsibility to yourself yeah to do something with it right and i feel like that's the moment memphis is at um and and increasingly we need to take those opportunities so back to the series you that are, is the series <laughs> that is the series <laughs> we don't in a have nutshell. to go back yeah, we don't yeah. have to go back we're going forward right we 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 are we are pushing our stories yeah. forward. We're pushing the history of Memphis forward. We are now allowing us to become anew, right? Our yeah. neighbors, our stories. This is a, a, a program 
that I hope never ends. We have a million more people to have conversations with. We have a million more people to awaken. We have a million more people to keep their eyes open. And so when the 300,000 of a million become asleep because they forgot, we'll keep waking people up and we'll keep telling their stories and we'll keep encouraging and empowering every individual to look with inside themselves and find the opportunity for greatness. Wow. Lakeith and Mason, I don't know whether uh, there's any other better way to end this interview, but is there anything maybe we didn't know to, to ask or you want to just kind of like fold it forward and say like what, what's next on the horizon for you personally, maybe beyond this project? Absolutely. We will yeah. be, we'll be publishing and releasing our, uh, the first season of Our Neighbors, Our Stories, the first 75 stories of our uh, three-part series uh, and our three-part uh, three-season uh, series. And we will be asking the community to continue to support uh, the, uh, our ability to, to tell our stories and to explore the art, history, life, and culture of, of Memphis through the eyes of the people who live them. So if you're uh, interested in following us, you can go to our Facebook, Facebook page, which is called Our Neighbors, Our Stories. You can also go to memphisfilmworks.com which is our nonprofit film company that focuses on Memphis stories uh, to find more information, to get involved, and to share your story uh, if, you, uh, even if you feel compelled to or you're excited to do so. We are on Instagram, Twitter, um, you name it. We're, we're out there, LinkedIn. My name is Lakeithan Mason. If you would like to reach out to me, it is Lakeithan, L-A-K-E-T-H-E-N, at memphisfilmworks.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Champions of the Lost Causes podcast is a production of the OAM Network, available on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and at theoamnetwork.com. I'm your host, Marvin Stockwell, produced by Gil Worth. Logo and design by the OAM Network. Content and social media coaching by Emily Austin. Be sure to follow the show on Instagram and Facebook. And I'm on Twitter at, at Marvin Stockwell. Keep up with the latest at championsofthelostcauses.org. The OAM Network is an independently run podcast and live production company in Memphis, Tennessee. TheOAMNetwork.com. Power to the podcast.